You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Addicted to Growth. And Kevin and I are super excited to sit down with Alex Ali, who is the co-founder over at ReachDesk. Super excited to have you on, Alex. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. Um, Kevin and I have been speaking for a while, but it's, it's finally great to meet you, Travis. But yeah, nice, nice to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. And and I guess would you mind start by sharing with us kind of a, a, a sneak peek into, you know, who you are, what you're up to, and then the thing you're most passionate about right now? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm one of the founders of a company called ReachDesk. I, I lead the, the revenue and marketing function. So I'm one of my passions. I'll tell you about another one in a second. But one of my passions is like genuinely knitting together sales and marketing. Uh, I used to get so frustrated being an account executive when everyone was on different pages, no one was being measured by the same thing. So I lead that, that side of things. We're, um, we're, we're a global business. Yeah, we've got offices in New York and uh, over in London as well. As you can tell by my accent, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm from the UK originally. Um, but yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that I'm passionate about is prospecting. I love cold calling. I love creating videos. I love writing emails. Um, I never like to put the phone down and uh, it's something I've been doing more recently over the past couple of months to really stay in touch with things and, and dial into things. So prospecting with emotion and, 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 and like really doing things differently that creates an experience for prospect is, is, is the, the thing that I love to do most. I love that. And, and, when you talk about passion about prospecting, right? Cause like the, you're talking to two people also that I feel like are super in love with that process. Like what is there a place, to, like, where do you draw the line with, with passion and like how much emotion you evoke in prospecting? How do you mean? So where do you draw the line? I don't think. Cause like for me, do. for example, if like, well, cause right. I'd be like, man, like I saw on Alex's Instagram two years ago that you played the drums. And so like in the back of my mind, it's like super, I'll know that. All right. Like I can talk to Alex about music. Right. But I had a prospect for me where she was like, you went to my Instagram and saw that I loved Elvis invasion of privacy. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. I think, I think the thing I've learned over the years, right, is you're never going to win 100% of the time. And if you go into prospecting and you think, I've got to make this so perfect because I don't want to get into trouble because I'm, 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 I'm living in fear of what my prospect might say, don't, don't bother in the first place, right? You've got to be a bit more out there. You've got to, you've got to take some risks. So long as you don't say anything offensive, right, as long as you don't say anything that is just going to get you into trouble, then it's always going to be okay. You're always going to have people, even if you do an awesome cold call, right? You're always going to have people who are going to ask you, where'd you get my number from? But that's just part of the game. So you have to be accepting of that first. And I don't think that's, I don't think there's, there's, there is a line in, in a sense other than don't be offensive. 
That's yeah, it was funny. I, I, I had a, uh, I didn't, one of my SDRs a few months back, you know, pulled me aside and he's like, hey, he's like, you're probably going to get an email from a prospect who is, you know, I was emailing, I was trying to get on the phone. Like, I didn't say anything wrong, but they just, you know, were really stern about me not emailing or calling them ever again. And they said they were going to, you know, find my boss on LinkedIn and reach out. And he's like, I just want to give you a heads up. I was like, good job. You know, like you're, uh, you got to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. And again, as long as you're not offending something or you're doing anything illegal, you, you sometimes you have to go through those experiences to kind of find, understand like where the lanes are. Right. Um, so I, I, I love that. I, I know Alex, you're all about taking a little bit of risk and, and you're all about, you know, making mistakes with your team, failing fast and learning from them. Talk to me a bit about that kind of a culture and how you've, you know, sort of embedded that with, with your team and, and how that may apply to prospecting or just any types of new initiatives you guys are, are working on. Yeah, I think it's a really good question, Kevin. Um, the first thing I think is important, particularly if you're a sales manager, is everyone thinks that you need to tell your team to take risks, but they don't create a safe environment within which you can do that, right? So they go, take risks, but then when you mess it up and you do something wrong, you get slapped on the wrist, right? So you've got to create an environment and tell people where the boundaries really are. As I said, like, don't swear, don't be offensive, don't do anything illegal. But other than that, then you tell them it's okay to fail, but if you do, you learn from it and you fail. And you fail and you learn fast. Um, but it's really important. And what, you know, one of the first SDRs I ever hired, he used to be a professional ice skater. And day one, I got up a slide and it was someone on an ice rink who'd fallen flat on their ass and they were in pain. And I was like, this is going to be you. Remember, remember when you did that in your ice skating training, right? You're going to fall flat on your ass and it's going to hurt. But then the next slide was someone doing a pirouette on ice perfectly. Looks glorious. I was like, if you do that enough and you fall flat on your ass and you learn from it every time, you'll get to that point of not perfection, elegance where you where you can do something which which is phenomenal um and i always try and relate to an experience someone might have had in the past so they can actually relate to it it's too hard for someone to understand me if i say just you know it's okay to fail if you can say hey remember that time where you failed in the past or well, tell me about a time when you failed in the past that's actually something i do in an interview process that on day one i can sit down with them and say hey you told me this remember that that's that it's the same in sales Right? And so I try and help them visualize something that they can relate to um, and then show them what the end goal is, that promised land where they can get to that if they continue to do it and they learn from it, that they can get to a position where they're comfortable. That's so smart. I, I think one of the things that people don't realize is like simply connecting that ice rink to your reps past, right? And like bringing that into the conversation is so important. Because it, like just knowing that it just creates a different relationship. Because um, like again, like I I, I could probably it, most sales managers try to do this right. They try to get to know their reps and and all that. But like being able to tie in the past of who that person was into who they're developing into as a rep is super super important. Um, so I just want to call that out because again I don't I'm like oh wow like you you bring in the analogies from day one. All right, like that's that's a good sign. I think, and you yeah, visualized it, which is cool. Like the actual picture, right? I think that probably had a, a unique impact as well. Yeah, exactly. And look, I think it goes back to, to the, the style of uh, sales leadership that I like to see and I like to actually employ within this organization. It's like at the beginning of this pandemic when all sales leaders were saying, lead with empathy. 
if you're a 21 year old SDR, <laughs> does that help you? Honestly, does that help you? Most people don't yeah. know what the definition of empathy is. So you have to start making statements. You have to start saying, right, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're allowed to say and like work within these boundaries, but test stuff right on these calls, rather than what we used to say before, you do have to be empathetic, but more importantly, ask your prospects the key questions they should that they're asking themselves right now these are the things you should say and i think that's the other side of it really travis is as leaders we have to start making statements right? we have to start saying what we think is okay but then handing that over to someone and saying go and test it um because you sometimes you know in difficult situations you've also got to help someone visualize thousand percent and what i guess what i'm, I'm curious too what how do you learn like I'm a type where I'm like, put me on a phone call or give me a, a notebook or a whiteboard. Um, but like, how do you learn? How do I? Yeah. Like, how do you learn? Mm-hmm. Mm. So in, in difficult situations, I learned by putting myself like literally in the SDR shoes or the salesperson's shoes. And when I caught up with Kevin a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you about what I did. The, <laughs> you can often see as a rep when your leader really doesn't know the answers right? because it, it, it's so blindly obvious. And I put my hand up a couple of months back in March and I said, look, I've never done this before, guys. I've never led a sales team remotely in a pandemic. Okay, hands up. Who, who else has? Okay, none of us have, right? So what we're going to do is let's get in the trenches together. I'm going to be doing calls with you, right? So that, that way I can actually feel how difficult it is. I can help you and actually coach you by, by what I'm experiencing. Um, the best way to learn is to start with a hypothesis and then test it yourself. Put yourself back in their shoes, start dialing, close deals, see what's different, and then like get everyone to feedback what they're feeling as well as a team, and then create a new playbook on it, and then just, just iterate on it constantly. Um, so to answer your question very simply, I just love to get back in the trenches. I love to get dialing. I love to get selling. Um, and I think that that potentially helped our team quite a lot, not just because they can see someone else doing it, but it's also so I can actually say that, you know what, our decision maker and budget holder is no longer like the director of marketing. It's actually the CFO. Right? We need to get access to the CFO early on. That's what I'm feeling. Now. Who else is feeling that? Right. That that didn't used to be the situation two, 12 months ago. So actually like putting myself in their in their shoes and doing it with them has helped massively. I think yeah, there's a certain level of just humanity that I think reps want to see as well from their leaders in the sense of like we are going through something brand new, we've never experienced before. You can't stand up there and act like you have all the answers because they'll see through that. And they're, they're going to, you're going to lose credibility. You're going to lo lose respect. And there's nothing better. I think for your team to see jumping into the trenches, making the cold calls, like, I mean, did you get hung up on a few times? You know, like I bet they loved seeing that shit too. Right. Which is kind of cool. Um, you guys had to pivot and pivot fast. I'm sure. Right. I mean, you're, you're a business that sells physical direct mail into offices where people are no longer there. Right. And I know you mentioned you know, there's this moment in New York City, you had 48 hours to get back. Tell us a bit about, you know, from from the moment you got that alert to to where you guys started to pivot. Like, talk to us about that process. Oh, man. Yeah. Pretty scary moment, to be honest with you. I was um, in our New York office with um, a couple of guys. You know, we'd, we'd only recently opened it, actually, and uh, had a whole weekend planned in New York and 
next thing you know, I get a message on my phone. I was actually at the top of the Empire State Building. I get a message on my phone saying, right, if, if you need to travel back to the UK, uh, you know, where I live, I'm, I'm from London, um, you've got 48 hours. And so all of that, you're looking at like, all the flights and you can see them selling out really quickly. I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to actually get back to my family and stuff. So um, got on a plane and I was just reading through all the news. I was thinking, oh, crap. Like we send direct mail and gifts to people's offices. That's our business. Our business is about how do I break through the noise with someone using the physical channel? And now all the offices are going to be closed and it looks like they're going to be closed for six, 12 months. So basically we're dead. So that's great. I've spent years working on this startup. <laughs> I spent years on this business. It's, it's actually finally going somewhere. We work with some awesome, awesome customers. And now they can't use us. And, you know, that, that's quite a scary moment. So you've got to think about what, well, what can you do in those situations when literally your, your, your whole business model is potentially fundamentally flawed. And so we thought, well, how, how, you know, we're all about experience, right? How are we going to create an experience in a remote environment? That's going to be the, the, the really key thing here. Um, what can we really do? So we're thinking about we could like, influence how people run their virtual events like what do people miss from the virtual events so we start asking the questions what are people going to miss what are the things that they're going to not have anymore that they're going to need to help them survive and there's things like you know if you go to a conference right you like networking with people you like the free food the coffee the swag the get all that kind of stuff so we're like let's just partner with people and recreate that because everyone was like we're going to be moving on to onto virtual events. And so we started building, you know, we, we, we added like about 800 e-gift cards, digital gift cards that you could use and send via email links and stuff before and after events. And we then built like this whole address confirmation system so that you can send someone an email saying, I'd like to send you something. You just need to com confirm your address and you can send it to yourself at home. And then we built these send portals, which are like these custom landing pages, which have like embedded vidyards and like swag options and like drop downs and everything. So, and so you kind of create these physical stores for people. And then next thing you know, everyone was like, oh, you've given us a solution to create this, these experiences that we need, not just to break through to people, but to reward our existing customers, our employees. So within the space of a couple of weeks, from not being able to sell anything, next thing you know, we've tripled in revenue in a couple of months. And it's just like, wow. Uh, that, that, that was a really good half a bottle of gin that I drank on that plane that gave me that inspiration. <laughs> but more importantly, more than a half know, a bottle of gin. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing you know it, right? <laughs> You've got solutions that not just what people want, but we we built solutions that people really need. And you know, there there were only about a dozen of us at the beginning of the pandemic, and now we're close to fifty. And you know, we're continuing to grow because that that demand is there. Um, so it's been an interesting ride. It's been hard, but it's certainly uh, put us in a good place. Wait, so can we talk really quickly? <laughs> I love when you start like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, because y'all went from, bro, you were on a plane, like literally in your brain, I'm out of business. My business is done. Like, that's what you were thinking. And then you land, right? And then you're like, wait a minute, like, we can fix this, right? Let, let's go talk to some people. Let's figure out who we, we specifically need to serve because who we were serving before this has changed and let's just create solutions. Like you guys went into startup build mode again and, and you're seeing the results of it, right? You're going from, you know, less than 10, 12 roughly employees to now around 50, right? Within a span of three to four months, that's like hyper growth. I'm putting that in air quotes. Like everybody that is a sales manager or leads a team wishes they could like take their team from whatever number they are and increase, you know, 
200, 300%. Um, like, how, how did you guys think, like, oh, let me just talk to my customers? Because, like, that, it's, it's a very, like, intuitive thing. But, again, I feel like not many people, like, think about doing that. I think the, the, the first thing I've got to clarify is, you know, we built this business for ourselves. It was a problem that we were faced with, right? We built this for B2B tech software uh, analytics companies, generally speaking, um, to, to use this. So we thought, well, what would we need? You know, we are our own customer. What do we need first and foremost? But then we just sat down. I, I personally sat down for the first three weeks with all of our customers and just like, tell me about your plans. Like, where are you struggling? Where's, how do you foresee this planning out? Um, and all the ones that, you know, we, we gathered a lot of information, but more importantly, we refined it by industries, all the ones that were like, look, we cannot sell to anyone. So we're just not like, we actually don't know what we're going to be doing. All the ones that were going, this is going to be great for us. Those are the ones we zoned in on. So we're like, let's only target those industries. So only let's target the industries that help people in a remote, a remote environment. Obviously, we still helped our existing customers in any way possible. But from a net new perspective, it was like, right which of the businesses, one of our customers, they, they literally called me up and like, we need you more than ever because we're getting so much inbound that we've got like a queue system and we want to send people gifts who are in the queue because they want our product so badly, but we can't service it for them. So we almost want to keep them happy. That's like, that was one- a nurturing step. tactic almost, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're like, right, let's just dial in on those. And that's what we've been doing for the past like, six months is just going after those industries that, that have been flourishing and really dialing in on those. So I got a question. You, you've been- Revenue's picking up, you're hiring, you're growing, you're scaling, you've got new playbooks, which, and it sounds like you've, you guys have done an amazing job of identifying, Hey, look, there's, there's a shift. There's a, a new opportunity, right? The companies want to interact with us differently. We have new use cases, new needs with all of this newness that has happened over the last four or five months. And with the growth you're seeing from employee headcount, how are you onboarding these people in what I assume is a completely brand new environment for you guys as well? Oh man, we got it horribly wrong at the beginning. <laughs> it wasn't perfect at the start. Um, but we, you know, we, we'd always had a fairly good way of onboarding, but we, we just sort of did it by 30, 60, 90 as you would do, but broken down the things that you, you have to take out of there and, and replace with things in a remote environment. So the simple things I think everyone should be doing if you are hiring now is making sure everyone has a buddy for the first three months. Right, someone that for sometimes we recommend you literally have an hour booked in a day with them where you do all your emails and stuff. You're just on Zoom together and you can say, hey, Kevin, like, are you there? Yeah, yeah, cool, man. Can you just help me with this one thing? Where do I find this? Yeah, it's just there. Like, I'll show you my screen. Cool. You got everything you need? Yeah, thanks, man. I'm going to go make a cup of tea. But you kind of sit there with them. So you buddy people up. Um, you really dial into, into the things they're, they're, they're genuinely going to need. You cut out all the stuff that is just, it's just trash, right? There's yeah. so much in onboarding that you, you just don't need anyway. So it made us realize, actually, this is just unnecessary. We're just filling in the time. Um, and we just create like this very structured one for each role, for, for SDRs, for salespeople, for customer success, for project managers. You all have a different track and you all have like this, this really rigid system with all the information in like Trello boards so that you can follow it. And we have tests as well. You have to take these tests and you complete yep. them and everything. But there's, there's no real secret to it. It's a lot of it is about how do you maintain your culture in a company when you're remoting people, when you're onboarding people remotely. Right. And that's, that's really hard. That's that genuinely one of the hardest things. So one of the things we changed is rather than the five values that every tech company says, like we're going to like always deliver and we're going to be uh, human. Above and, and beyond. Above <laughs> and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Just dream big. We're like, you know what? 
everyone who comes on board gets to say their five, right? I'm going to give, like, tell me your five values that you value. And there's a screen now that everyone can go to. And it's like, it, it's, it says reach desk, but it has all the words in that map. And the, the, the more words that get populated into that sheet, the bigger it gets. So culture is actually dictated from the ground up, right, by the employees. And that's been one of the hard, one of the biggest achievements, I think, because people can really feel part of the business and, and put something in from day one um, and, and articulate how they want the culture to be. And it really allows me to see that as well from the outside, being like, wow, I hadn't even thought about these things. But it's really cool that people can have their voice from day one, even though they're not sitting in a room next to their colleagues. That's rare. I, I feel like that's one of the things that as, as I think about it, like that's one of the challenges that a lot of companies are facing right now is like, how do we give our employees a bigger share of the voice and actually driving the cultural change that everyone's talking about, right? Like, I think that's really huge to be able to see something that they created that's actually going out to the world and it's all being added in together, right? It's almost just like a one big giant pot of like happy culture and just like good vibes that they get to, you know, stir and create, but then you're then sharing with the world. So kudos for giving your employees a voice because that is a, not very common. I, I guarantee you, if we go around to other tech companies, we, we're not going to see the same things happening. So, thanks, man. Appreciate Good it. Stuff. Um, so, one of the one of the questions I had for you as well, and we we touched on it a little bit earlier um, with you know one of your SDRs who was you know previously uh, an ice skater. Um, I know you have a, a law background. You know, we've interviewed some super interesting people on this podcast. Bridget O'Brien was a marine biologist. Right. And so uh, you start to see people that uh, sort of more or less like fall into these these sales careers, sales leadership roles, and they can take some really interesting components of their previous life that had nothing to do with sales that 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 just fall into this and, and work so well. So what what are some things from law, maybe something completely outside of sales, your, drumming, your music background, drumming? Music. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some of those things that, you know, you, you can you learn through those experiences that you kind of apply to, to leadership, to sales that, that you never thought were maybe transferable. I think I can certainly take one thing from law and one thing from music, but I'll start with the legal side of things that it's no secret that lawyers are a pain in the ass to negotiate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I genuinely learned that um, at the hard way. And there's this one thing I've really learned in law and it really ties into the, to, the book, which I absolutely love by uh, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. Um, I was taught that from day one, is that there is no middle ground in negotiation, right? It's, it's all about your process of how you get to, that's right. Not the, why are we doing this? Let's get aggravated, let's get annoyed about the situation. The whole process of like negotiation within law was very, very relevant to um, the, 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 sort of the sales environment. And sales, what we want to do is we just want to hit our target. We know if we get enough deals and we shave off enough of discount, then we can get there. But actually, if you focus in on the right deals and you really hold steady and you be a bit more patient and you hold out time a little bit more um, and you do it properly and you have a process behind it, then you get into a situation where you close much bigger deals um, on both of your terms. So I think I, I really learned the, the negotiation side of things quite, quite well uh, as a lawyer. That doesn't sort of excite me as much as the music side of things to be honest with you the one thing that that um i've realized over the past couple of years is 
when you're creating your outreach strategy, particularly as a, as a BDR, if you're a 360 role, I've always said writing sequences is the same as composing a song. So sequences or cadences, however you do it, right? So you've got like email, phone, LinkedIn, direct mail, video, all those things. I did a lot of analysis behind why the Beatles were so successful at writing number ones time and time again. And it's the structure, right? It's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, double chorus, outro. And so when we write sequences, we actually get the Beatles structure. There's this whole thing that I can send to you, which color codes all of it. And then next to it, there's the whole, there's a whole sequence analogy. So it's like, the, it's not just the email, email, LinkedIn. It's like, how do you tell a story and a narrative within your sequencing or your outreach as a BDR, which builds and builds and, and, and get, gets you to that, that moment where you get all the hooks in there rather than the, let's just drip feed you a load of shit and case studies because it doesn't really mean much. Um, so from, from writing a lot of music, from having structures and, and learning how to tell a story within it, I learned how to do that within within like yes the our outreach side of things and now we have this whole framework that we use that that, that allows us to do that travis go ahead man i i, <laughs> I know you've got a lot on this one that, that's crazy so you tell me you analyzed beatles songs and then figured out that it's just like writing cadences and you literally brought music as a framework into your processes actually the other way around so look at the Beatles songs right and there's there's structures apart from Sgt Pepper's album which just I think they'd been in India for a bit too long and having too much of a good time uh, <laughs> that's kind of the only anomaly but generally speaking it's like you know think about how how do you teach people to write sort of a sequence of outreach across multiple channels does anyone really have much of a structure I know like Sam Nelson from outreach has his goji sequence and everything but honestly when you start looking at it and you analyze it it's like is this the opening because if, if, if you're just trying to get a response as early on as possible, sales loft have done a lot of analogy around the timing as to when someone actually is more likely to respond. So you can take a lot of data behind it, um, but you can honestly, you can start to build it. You have to be building this narrative. Too many sales leaders want a response too quickly and actually it creates a really poor experience for the person being prospected. Now, if you put them as your audience, it's just like your fan base, right and you try and write things for them the, the personas the industries that you have you start to pull out all the fragments that you know they want to hear the problems that they have um and you're like kind of like the 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 tour manager in a sense you're 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 the one who's orchestrating all of it and you can build together a structure which gives your audience a desire to listen right and if you don't do that you just end up with here's a problem here's another problem here's another problem and you don't really create an experience out of it. So we try and reverse engineer uh, sort of a musical rhythm to it, tell a story, make it enjoyable. Um, it's a different it's a different approach. Yeah, because I mean, and I, I talked about this some uh, the other day, and one of the approaches that I use as an SDR, I wouldn't like think of, you know, like email one, like if you look at a cadence, like I can literally put a notebook right now. Oh, uh, they're in the living room. But literally I have had, hundreds of cadences that I built, right? Just like all different types, email one, phone call two days later, send a LinkedIn message. But like at the core of these, I'm always focused on the actual message, 
right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people forget because when they build sequences, the first thing you, you see is like, all right, what are the types of plays you're going to run? You can run email plays, you can run phone call plays, you can run social plays. But like, I like to back up from that and look at everything as messages, right? Because however you send it, whether it's an, a voice, right? Maybe you do an audio message, whether you do a video, whether you write an email, you're sending a message and you're trying to convey something to another person, right? So like strip away phone call, email, whatever. It's like, what is the message you're trying to get to someone, right? Like it could be as simple as, yo, like Kev, can you introduce me to Alex? Like that message, I don't need to say anything else besides, can you intro me to Alex, right? If Kev sees that, he's going to know what to do. That's every single you know, interaction that you want to have with a prospect. Can it be that simple, right? That they understand your message and the challenge that a lot of times, at least with the reps that were first starting when I was, you know, early on, they didn't know what they needed them to understand. Like they didn't know why the product was important to the prospect. So they didn't know what to say. <laughs> and so when you just sit back and you really think about like, all right, how do I make this message the best possible thing that'll make someone want to hang out with me again or want to go on that first date or that second date and like go through the process like you said of like creating a song opening it up having the intro like that's how you get really fun because then you learn how to connect with people from all different industries and all different needs and all different problems and that's when you really really kind of get to the fun part of prospecting but yeah i, I really love that because um, building a narrative is something that I think should be taught more and especially teaching SDRs how to storytell um, is something that I don't think gets taught very often, to be quite honest. Like, it's just like a, hey, here are the tactics. Here are some things like go pick up this email template and like go, go sit on a training and a webinar and like you might be able to get this. It's like, nah, there's a little bit more to this stuff. And that's why I think a lot of people just want to do their time as an SDR as quickly as possible and get into an AE position because it's difficult right but if a lot of a lot of the guys I work with are like I actually really love prospecting this is quite a lot of fun and like it, it means the energy and enthusiasm in your outreach is is a lot more meaningful too I think that's 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 the other side to it it's not just like how do you create something your prospect wants to hear or enjoys being part of but it's a delivery from an SDR like you want to get up in the morning and be like oh, I'm so I'm, I'm really pumped about this new like campaign we're doing like we're doing one at the moment we want it's different for the us the in the uk but we're like okay it's august it's hot people are like thinking about q4 uh building pipeline is going to be important so we had this whole message about like are you thirsty for more pipeline right that was the message like are you genuinely thirsty for more because it's hot and so we built this whole thing around like a cocktail set and that was that that was the the main piece of, of, of the theme of it and what we're trying to do is get to a point where someone says I want to sit down and have like a virtual cocktail with you to discuss how we're going to use this channel to, to build more pipeline and, and get them to feel that thirst for it. So all the messaging is around that. And it's all about how do you reverse engineer it back to Q4 and his five plays on, on how you're going to build pipeline right now using the experiential channel, but we make an experience out of it too. And then you get the narrative, right? And then you put all the, the pain, the problem in there. Then you look into the, how you're going to tell the story. And then the final thing is that, which channels are we going to use? Um, and when you break it down that simply and, and you put that theme in the middle of it, that, that's, that's basically how we do it. And my team love designing those things. They love being part of it. And we have a gong channel where we share the, uh, the responses from people, some of which are just that ridiculous that I've never been prospected to like this before. This is mad, but I love it. Can we have a meeting? Um, 
so it's it's uh, it's an enjoyable it's an enjoyable process as well do you guys also send the cocktails prior and have them make drinks with you or is that like a whole different thing yeah yeah we've done that too we've done that for webinars we've done like cooking classes where we've had like chefs on, on the webinar beforehand and we've sent them all the stuff that they need and we'll do that cookery class and then we'll go into the webinar afterwards and actually talk about the stuff uh, that links to that so you can do anything wait so can we uh can we dive in there real quick because i feel like a lot of people <laughs> listening like no sales manager or sales leader ever is like yo let me go get a chef to like virtually do a chef class like i again that's something i've never heard me personally right so how did you come to the conclusion of like, we're going to have to do some crazy different type of experiences to keep people's attention right now? Um, I think gin was probably uh, related to that decision as well. But, no, <laughs> that was all, that plane all, ride. <laughs> all joking aside, it's like, what do people really want? We've done like things where, again, we, we think about the things that people are missing out on. What we're, we're all locked down in our homes, we can't fly around the place, we can't go to these conferences, and particularly that for your senior execs, not being like an ABM program or whatever it is you're doing. What you have to do is think about how do you know, we need to speak to these people? Everyone's got to keep going, we've got to keep generating pipeline and stuff, but you've got to do something different for them that is going to make it enjoyable for them, right? So, what do we do at a normal event? Like, if we have like a, an exec round table, we'll sit down, have a load of drinks, and we entertain them. So why can't we do that in a remote environment? Why, what would happen if we sent someone a landing page with a customized video saying, I'd like to invite you to uh, this virtual wine tasting. We've got a sommelier lined up. If you just submit your details here, you send yourself this wine tasting kit. Two days later, the wine tasting kit appears. They put themselves onto the webinar. And next thing you know, they're doing a wine tasting with a sommelier, right? It's all about that, that engagement and the experience that you can, uh, you can really build around it. Um, it's not hard to come up with. It's just we've got to think differently now. If we just do the same as what we did a year ago, we become boring and, and generic in, in my humble opinion. I think, I think more and more companies are thinking about the, the, the customer experience, like the buyer experience, right? Because it's, you know, it, for certain marketplaces, it's, it's getting more and more competitive. And this is, this is something to really help set yourself apart from a, from a differentiation perspective. Um, and I don't think enough companies really think about, I think they, they think about their process a lot. They don't think about the experience that the customer is going through. So they're all about, you know, oh, let's evaluate our med pick or medic or need, you know, whatever the, the criteria may be, but they're not thinking about what's the experience that the, the, the buyer is potentially going through. And it seems like you guys have gotten, it's been sort of a focal point throughout your, your, not just your, not even when you're interacting, but your, your prospecting, every element of what you guys are doing. And I'm sure you're seeing that on the back end, not from just helping you build pipeline, land new accounts. That's also got to be playing into your ability to retain and expand relationships with your existing customers as well. Yeah. And it, it's because I, I've just always been a firm believer that, you know, features, products, integrations, all those things, they're the old guard, right? The new currency is, is experience. It's what people care about. And I think the reason why that's so prominent now is because, you know, I think it's in two years time, 75% of B2B buyers will be millennials. Yep. Right? And if you think about what's happened over the past decade or so, well, more than that, right? But the past decade, more particularly, we have, as individuals in our personal lives, got used to everything being on demand, having to be easy, to be frictionless, right? And to be quick, as you say. And that's what we're starting to see in the way that we buy. So if we're just presented with all the features and the good stuff that, that we want to, to, to benefit from, 
it won't get us half the way. And that's that's really, really um, materializing in the B2B buying process. So all the businesses out there who have their funnels, right? And they just want to do it on a funnel basis. Those are the guys that unfortunately, I think are getting a little bit behind. The ones that are talking about the buyer journey, the, the, the experience and how you map content to that, how you map your plays to the buyer journey are the ones that are, are able to actually create the experience where companies fall short is where they go, right, is this top of funnel? Is this an MQL? Uh, how do we create an experience around an MQL or an SQO? Like, get rid of all of that and just go, what's the experience for the buyer? Let's map everything that almost reverse engineer it from, from, from that point of view. And then let's deliver on that. And that's, that's not actually that hard to do. You just got me thinking. I was like, I just want to throw MQL parties just to like make it so annoying. Like, yeah, I'm throwing MQL parties on Thursdays at two o'clock on LinkedIn. Bring all your MQLs and we'll close them together. And then as soon as people show up and be like, yeah, the reason you're here is because y'all got clickbaited. Don't ever, 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 ever use that word in the sales process again. And then they start off and they're like, oh my God, I can just, I'm just, yeah. It's interesting. Cause like to your point, like you're, you're creating an experience for people and like, per, I, I'm a perfect, I'm a millennial buyer, right? Like literally I'm the guy that calls the local deli to order a sandwich. Like, I don't want to go through Grubhub. I just want to call and be like, bro, I'm taking my dog for a walk. I'll be there in two minutes. You got my turkey and cheese. Gotcha, man. Boop. <laughs> and it's done, bro. And he, pre bro, he appreciates it so much. Like the local guy, right? He like knows who I am after like two weeks because I literally just called him. They literally, I go in the store and the guy at the front's like, uh, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, bro. Can you give me the sandwich that's behind the counter that's looking at you right now? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you already ordered. But like, it's that I only have two minutes. I'm going to get a sandwich and it's going to happen now. Like that is how I, that's how I buy. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's what we've expect. It's what we expect now. Right? And that's why it's important. I think for, for B2B sales and marketing teams to get on the same page about that. Um, you know, people, they, they buy with emotion and they justify with logic later. Yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah, you yeah. To, Big time. Got to dial in on that. And I think too, like the, no one sits there, reads an email and has like a very well thought out, objective, rational decision to say, like, yeah, I'll take a call with these guys. It's all based off emotion. It's all based off that experience. And I think more and more companies are, are leaning towards, like you said, like throwing out the, the MQL metrics, like that's just out the window. Cause like it, it, it's almost meaningless, right? It's, it's not allowing you to optimize. It's just reporting on, on a static figure that means really is, is meaningless to, to the business. Um, so it's, it's just interesting. Why aren't more companies like, it makes so much sense, right? Like, I don't know, we, Travis, we've had so many conversations on this topic and when we really dive into it with, with some of the guests, like, we're like this makes so much sense, but very, very few companies are transitioning to this way. Why do you think so few are, are reluctant to change? And there are a couple of reasons having, having been in that situation and problem a couple of years back it's generally speaking because the um the exec team don't buy into that like the mentality they also look at the capital expenditure on the cost it's going to take to make that change yep right and so so they think right we're gonna have to rip out you're telling me i should ungate all our content but that's where all our leads come from <laughs> oh we can't do that but think about the cold call. Oh my God. Yeah. But Sorry, think you think just... about the cold call, right? Think about the yeah. cold call. Yeah. Hey, Al, I'm calling you because you just downloaded a, um, an ebook, right? Um, 
what do you think about the ebook? Uh, I haven't read it yet. Cool. Well, anyway, can I sell you my product? It's like, get, get out of here. Right. <laughs> so it's like, Al, I um, seen that you've hired 27 people in the past three months. And out of the 12 SDRs you recently have brought on board, are you not frustrated with the, like, how hard it would be to onboard and share content in a remote environment? I noticed one of your reps said this the other day. Do you want to have a talk about a chat? just virtually for, for 15 20 minutes Sunday, whenever it's good for you to discuss how we've helped other high growth uh, startups in the past three months solve that problem right it's so different and it's just about the, the narrative and so many people i feel like i get so many call calls a day and they they ask templated questions they ask the mql questions just just dial it in a little bit and just don't ask obvious questions that you could have researched yourself make it all about your prospect and it, it can be as simple as that. Appreciate the fact that a lot of people are going to say no. They're going to hang up on you. Um, but just persevere and just continue to do it the proper way and, and, and you'll win. I think the, the other challenge, coming back to your earlier point about why it doesn't happen, is because I think a lot of leaders don't know that this is a way. Like, I think they just don't know what they don't know. And so, like, they don't think to reverse engineer an experience for their prospects that'll actually have them wanting to win business i think they're just like what are they going it's like why they're in the spot that they're in typically as a manager right like they go in they're trying to figure out everything on their own they're not really listening to too many people my way is the highway it's like that same story that most people have had at some point in their careers um and, and i think like the biggest thing is just figuring out how it, like it, right now if you're a sales leader if you don't, if you're not winning, as in like if your team's not hitting quota, you're not hitting goal, you're not hitting revenue, go out and talk to other leaders about how to win. Like that's it. Like the, the, the reason why people like Alex find the answers is because he wants to win. He wants to succeed and he wants his business to grow. And also he, he had a problem himself that he wanted to solve, right? Like this was like you mentioned, the reason you started your company was because of an internal problem you had. And so it's like, when you have an individual that wants to go solve their own problems, that you're already in a different field. So the people who walk into a sales management role and like, they're just like, ah, yeah, maybe we'll get around to improving the experience. Like, that's just a whole different type of person that honestly, I'm like, they need to go kick rocks and maybe find a new profession just because there's, there's not enough room for them anymore because people in this profession are trying to grow, they're trying to learn. And like, eventually they, they, there's just gonna be no time for people that don't like want to continue to do that. Like you shouldn't be yeah. in this role if you don't want to continuously learn. Like I, I had a manager told me that I don't like reading books. I was like, what, bro, how do you learn? How do you learn then? <laughs> I actually stopped reading books for a bit because um, you know, I, I, I used to love to read and I read all the, st the, the, the same stuff as everyone else. But that's kind of the problem. We're all reading the same stuff. When you yeah. just go in there and experience it for yourself, that's the really important thing. One of the things that I've looked out for recently particularly for sales managers, is in their 30, 60, 90, the point at which someone says, and in month three, I'm going to close these two deals. And I'm going to, and month two is that I'm going to have opened these four doors. Those are the people I really like. They're like, you, you know, you don't need to do that, by the way. Yeah, but I'm going to because I want to feel it. I really want to live it. And the guys who I work with, um, I've got two guys, Travis and James, who, who lead our sales teams. They've been closing deals. They've been feeling it. They've been uh, really riding it so they can understand. So, and, and, and it means that they can really level eye to eye with their, with their team because their team can see the numbers on the board. And they can be like, this isn't, these guys aren't full of shit. They've done it themselves and they've, they've learned the hard way. Um, and I think that's such an important thing to have if you can do it.
I, I saw a uh, a quote one time. I forget exactly who it was, but they basically said, "If self help books, if reading a self help book actually worked, they put themselves out of business, right?" Because it's like, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, like, I think on the reading concept, you know, we're all reading the same stuff, we're all reading the same books, but I think very few people actually read. And I know Travis does do this, which is has a notebook side by side and he's writing down action points, writing down exactly how he puts it into his day. Right. Yeah. You know, like it, oh, my it's notebooks in the living room, but it's still going. Yeah. You know, and like, I, I think like, it, it's so easy to read and even too, even, even books that may not be sales related, business related, anything like I'll read them and I'll be like, what happened again? Like, you know, like I, I just, it, it's just so tough. Um, so I, I, I totally buy that. And, and I think that's a big part of, of, you know, for me, starting this podcast. Like I just wanted to talk to people. I wanted to ask questions. I wanted to see who else was doing things out there. I wanted to learn. And we've had crazy, crazy, inspirational, amazing, knowledgeable conversations. And this is one of them. So Alex, thank you for this. This has been great. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks for having me on this guys. Um, I love what you, what you're doing and it's been a, yeah, it's been a real, real pleasure. Alex, if people want to want to hit you up, want to learn more about you, about reach desk, where, where can they find you? Mate, I'm, I live in LinkedIn, right? So follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me, whatever. I'm, I'm not famous enough to have a limit on the number of connections or whatever the problem is. <laughs> so just connect with me. Um, but yeah, just just like find us on LinkedIn and just do do the standard stuff, really. Um, we're not doing anything, anything different within our social channels, but um, I'm always open to have a chat. Love it. Well, Alex, super appreciate you for coming on, dropping the prospecting love, the knowledge, the nuggets. Um, super appreciate it. And um, I want to leave with everyone with this. If you could put something on a billboard, I'm stealing this from Tim Ferriss, what message would that be? If I could put something on a billboard? Mm-hmm. In the downtown London, just drop that thing. Always be positive be unsatisfied. Whoa. <laughs> I went to go write that and I, I, I was like, always be positively unsatisfied. Yeah. Like, don't, if, never be satisfied with what you got, but always be happy with what you've done is the message, really. If you're always positively unsatisfied, you'll continue to go. You'll continue to try and iterate on what you've done. Um, nothing's ever really good enough, but you're happy with what you've done at the same time. <laughs> On that damn, <laughs> that was amazing. Because like, at first I thought it was gonna be like always be positive. And I was like, that's it. And then all of a sudden, positively unsatisfied. I was like, whoa, that that hits differently. That was really good. I like no, that a lot. That's a great way to end. Cool, nice one, dudes. Cheers for having me, Alex. Thank you so much, man. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.